It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the despair and the pain that we're all feeling in the wake of the coast-to-coast mass shootings. Soon, the Supreme Court will issue its biggest gun ruling in more than a decade, one expected to make it easier to carry guns in public in some of the biggest cities in the United States. And the murder of so many in Texas or in Buffalo or anywhere else, it's not likely to change the outcome. The Supreme Court is actively working against the American public. In fact, they're fucking killing us. They have no concern for the safety and welfare of children. That's the same children that they want to force women to bear. All we have is our voices and our vote. Take your pain, your anger, and use it to fuel the work we've all got to do to vote these motherfuckers out in November. The Heat organization, the Boston Celtics, and the NBA family also mourn those who lost their lives in the senseless shooting that took place yesterday at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Our thoughts are with the victims, their families and friends, and the entire Robb Elementary School and Uvalde community. Our hope is that the families, friends, co-workers, and loved ones of all those impacted by this tragedy will find the comfort and strength they need as they carry on in honor of those whose lives were lost. We now ask you to join us in a moment of silence for those no longer with us. Thank you. The Heat urges you to contact your state senators by calling 202-224-3121 to leave a message demanding their support for common sense gun laws. You can also make change at the ballot box. Visit heat.com slash vote to register and let your voice be heard this fall. Now back to our show. Just three days before Joe Biden's inauguration, then-President Donald Trump undoubtedly hopped up on Diet Coke and amphetamines was starting to panic. Nothing he'd done to try and stave off the inevitable had worked and now he had to vacate the White House. Not that he was going to admit defeat, no fuck that, no way. He still had the big lie and it was working. But he didn't want to leave if he didn't have to. 
buzzing around the White House were his sycophant co-conspirators like fucking assholes Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell, Rudy fucking Colludi Giuliani, all still hard at work trying to figure out how to use the president's trump card, his emergency powers, and to get away with it. Marjorie Taylor Greene texted then-chief of staff Mark the Asshole Meadows, and quotes, they stole this election, declare martial law, famously spelling martial like the lawman. The night before, Mike Flynn had been on Newsmax with a plan that almost seemed plausible, and I'm going to quote again, deploy military troops and declare martial law to rerun the election. Bold and totally illegal. But Trump loved it. But thankfully, mysteriously, the plot fizzled out and Trump slithered back to Mar-a-Lago, the first president in our history not to participate in a peaceful transfer of power. It is uh, a stunning uh, moment, uh, Dana, the, the disgraced 45th president of the United States and First Lady Melania Trump uh, walking to Marine One for their last ride on Marine One ever that will take them to Joint Base Andrews and where the president will give an ad-lib speech. One can only imagine what he will say and then they will fly to Florida. And fucking unbelievable as the story is, it's just one of the bombshells dropped a few weeks ago by the January 6th Select Committee that feels more like a scene from Dr. Strangelove than an actual plot to overturn a legitimate election. And yet, according to Mark Meadows' text threads and several of the people who were there in the room, it's all true. And if we're to believe the hype, the revelations being released by the committee now are just a small sampling of the mountain of evidence that they've gathered against the former president and his fucking idiot gang of inept coup plotters. As far as I know, this is the first case of abject fraud and obtaining a coup of the United States of America. So it's going to have to be dealt with. It should be that he can simply be reinstated, that a new inauguration date is set. And Biden is told to move out of the White House. And, <laughs> and, and, and President Trump should be moved back in. The committee recently subpoenaed five House Republicans, including Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who was already on the defensive after the committee dropped a trove of his text messages and recorded conversations that revealed just how venal and duplicitous McCarthy truly is. Tonight, the top Republican in the House, Kevin McCarthy, not backing down after being slapped with a subpoena along with four GOP lawmakers to appear by the end of the month before the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol attack. My view on the committee has not changed. They're not conducting a legitimate investigation. The rare move comes after McCarthy and the other members rejected the panel's request for voluntary testimony several months ago. Chairman Benny Thompson said in a statement, we're forced to take this step to help ensure the committee uncovers facts concerning January 6th. McCarthy claimed to have had a discussion with the president in the immediate aftermath of the attack on the Capitol, during which Trump admitted culpability for the riot. But that's a can of worms. McCarthy doesn't want to open up. I've already talked to the president. Um, I called them. Um, 
I think we need to make a statement. Sir, should we expect to see the president on camera this afternoon? I, I don't know. I would think so. I think that would be appropriate. I've spoken to the president. I asked him to talk to the nation to tell him to stop this. You said you spoke with the president. What did the president say he would do? I know he had put a tweet out there. I told him he needs to talk to the nation. I told him what was happening right then. I was very clear with the president when I called him. This has to stop, and he has to, he's got to go to the American public and tell them to stop this. McCarthy and the other four Trump toadies, Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, Andy Biggs, and Mo Bulletproof Brooks, all rejected investigators' previous request that they voluntarily testify and have shown no sign that they'll comply with the subpoenas either. How Republicans can deny subpoenas and still call themselves the party of law and order is absolutely fucking beyond me. January 6th committee in Congress subpoenaed House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and four other Republicans. The focus is on McCarthy's conversations with then-President Trump on the day that the U.S. Capitol was attacked and on lawmakers' meetings with White House aides. McCarthy said today it is not a legitimate investigation. He did not say if he'll comply with the subpoena. Let me lay out what the committee has on these other four traitors. Scott Perry was directly involved with efforts to corrupt the Department of Justice and install Jeffrey Clark as acting attorney general. Perry also had various communications with the White House and pushed false allegations that the Dominion voting machines had been corrupted. Jim the Jerkoff Jordan was in communication with President Trump all day on the 6th and participated throughout late 2020 and early 2021 in the plot to overturn the 2020 election. Andy Biggs helped plan various aspects of the riot. He brought protesters to Washington for the counting of electoral college votes. And Biggs tried to persuade state officials that the 2020 election was stolen. White House personnel says Biggs then tried to seek a presidential pardon for his nefarious activities connected to overturning the election. And Mo Brooks? Well, Mo Brooks spoke at the rally on January 6th, encouraged rioters to start taking down names and kicking ass. Brooks has said the former president urged him to work to rescind the election and reinstall Trump as president. The select committee also has evidence that Brooks's staff met with members of Vice President Pence's staff before the 6th and urged Pence to refuse to count certified electoral votes and overturn the election for Trump. But there's another bigger picture with respect to this January 6th committee. In my judgment, along with the other Republican colleagues, it is a propaganda effort. It is not an effort to discern the truth. If they really wanted to discern the truth, then they would have done what we've done throughout the history of the House of Representatives. We would have had a bipartisan committee where the Democrats select their people, the Republicans select their people, and they combine so that you get all viewpoints from all the witnesses instead of it being a one-sided sham that is designed to impact the election you did it. in 2022. That's for, all it's about For the now. record, you didn't vote for the independent January 6th commission there. It wasn't you, independent the way you, I looked you, at it. And it you, also was a sham because of the different procedures and processes you also, that were involved in there. The committee knows that all those assholes were involved in every aspect of the coup. 
And these subpoenas that they are rejecting represent a serious escalation in the committee's tactics after months of weighing how aggressively they pursue testimony from their own colleagues. It appears that they are done pussyfooting around. Rick, it's extremely rare to see a congressman subpoenaed, let alone five. How significant of an escalation is this? I know for a fact this is something that the committee, many people in the committee, didn't want to do. Uh, they were resisting the pressure to do this, in part because they recognize that there's a precedent that's being set here, uh, in part because it, it may not make a difference, uh, there, because the, the, there isn't an enforcement mechanism, there's no way to actually force them in, and in part because the shoe will be on the other foot, maybe as soon as January when Republicans are in control, and they'd be in a position of subpoenaing Democrats in hearings like this. So uh, this is not a step that they took lightly. It's also not a step, frankly, that they expect to, to get real results. But ultimately, committee members felt like they needed to, to send this message, that they're doing everything they can to try to get this testimony and maybe get some cooperation uh, ahead of this final frantic few months before the, the, the election when they're going to have to complete their work. But of course, McCarthy's still crying to the press that they're not conducting a legitimate investigation. He also claims he hasn't seen the subpoena yet. Really? Fucking bullshit. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan. And I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm the president of that organization. McCarthy tried to outwit Nancy Pelosi and lost. When he was given the opportunity to put five of his own people on the committee, two of his choices were Jim Jordan and Jim Banks. How are you going to put two known insurrectionists on a committee investigating the insurrection? I mean, it makes no fucking sense. Pelosi rejected Jordan and Banks, so Kevin flipped the fuck out and called the committee a sham and pulled all five of his people off, leaving him with no one on the inside to do his dirty work. Pelosi, in turn, picked two relatively sane Republicans to join the committee. She picked Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So fuck you, Kevin. Pelosi created the 13-member panel after Republican lawmakers rejected an earlier attempt to create an independent bipartisan commission. Republican Liz Cheney, someone Pelosi appointed to the January 6th committee, told reporters Wednesday she would remain there and that she agreed with Pelosi's decision and viewed the rejected Republicans, Jordan and Banks, as unfit for the task. One of whom may well be a material witness to events that led to that day, that led to January 6th. The other who disqualified himself by his comments in particular over the last 24 hours, demonstrating that he is not taking this seriously. He is not dealing with the facts of this investigation, but rather viewed it as a political platform. There were a lot of characters on the House Select Committee. The chair, Big Benny Thompson, impeachment pro Adam Schiff, but the standout is Cheney. While some members like dear sweet Stephanie Murphy of Florida want to take a more prudent approach to the hearings, focus more on intelligence failures and the security breaches and less on Trump, Cheney called foul. Representative Cheney's view is that the security at the Capitol is a critical part of the investigation, but the Capitol didn't attack itself. Trump did, said a spokesman for Cheney. Well, Liz Cheney lost her leadership position this week for criticizing Trump. Here to comment is Liz Cheney. Hi, everyone. 
thank you for being here. It's been quite a week for you. That's right. I was kicked out of the Republican Party. I fell down to hell like Lil Nas X, cracked with the devil, and bounced back up onto MSNBC. Colin, the Republican Party is changing. I don't know what happened. Cheney, one of nine members, has proved more aggressive than even some committee Democrats in her willingness to go after Donald Trump. She supports subpoenaing members of her own party and pressures former Trump aides to cooperate. According to the Washington Post, her unsparing and legal-minded approach toward Trump and the attack on the Capitol has distinguished her work on the panel. Colleagues say she's the most well-read and prepared lawmaker on the panel, one saying she's a pit bull. Jamie Raskin, who's emerged as the committee's hype man, said last week that the hearings will be dramatic and include explosive revelations that the panel has been piecing together behind the scenes for months and will tell a story that will really blow the roof off the house. I just hope that that's true. Captivating the hyper-polarized American public is gonna be a feat, but having some of the hearings televised nationally during prime time should definitely help. Raskin has devoted his fight for democracy to the son he lost to suicide in 2020. Voted the New Yorker's Person of the Year in 2021, he openly ridiculed Time Magazine's Person of the Year, Elon Musk, saying, and I quote, I speak for no one except myself, but is this the moment to valorize a supposed man of science who cast doubt on the COVID vaccines? Might as well give the accolade to Eric Clapton. He also called out Marjorie Taylor Greene's lies on the House floor in fucking spectacular fashion. And I was willing to believe that the distinguished general lady from Georgia and several other members were isolated in their conference. Now I'm starting to think that maybe they're speaking for the whole conference. Well, I, I wonder if my good friend from Pennsylvania would explicitly repudiate some of these statements made by the general lady from Georgia. Do, does the minority conference agree that NATO has been supplying the, quote, neo-Nazis in Ukraine with powerful weapons? Does the distinguished gentleman from Pennsylvania support or dissociate himself from the argument that the aid that we send to Ukraine falls, quote, into the hands of Nazis? A statement made by the general lady from Georgia echoing Putin's filthy claim that his war on the sovereign democracy of Ukraine is in fact an attempt to denazify the country. And of course, we hear distinct echoes in everything that we get from the erudite gentle lady from Georgia. After interviewing more than a thousand witnesses over nine months, the committee knows a thing or two. According to Vanity Fair, what emerges from the most recent batch of text messages released by the committee is not a group of brilliant conspirators, but rather a bunch of overgrown children play-acting as revolutionaries. The coup didn't start with the insurrection. It didn't even start with the early claims of voter fraud that would have immediately disappeared if Trump had won in 2020. Trump had been a liar and a cheat his entire fucking life, and you think that after the chaos, the death, and destruction that happened during the Capitol riot, it would end there. But it didn't. Far from it. Like a cocaine lab rat, they just don't stop. They still can't. 
The big lie has done immeasurable damage to our democracy and corrupted our faith in our most basic fundamental right, and that's the right to vote. Allies of Donald Trump are trying to remove some of the guardrails that prevented him from overturning the 2020 election. Now, according to the Post, Trump and his supporters are pushing a plan to place loyalists in key election posts from poll watchers and precinct judges to county clerks and state attorneys general. We have to be a lot sharper the next time when it comes to counting the vote. There's a famous statement, sometimes the vote counter is more important than the candidate, and we can't let that ever, ever happen again. They have to get tougher and smarter. But maybe the January 6th hearings can begin to turn that around. Oh, and newsflash, the Department of Justice has requested all the committee's transcripts of behind-closed-door interviews with Trump's inner circle, so fingers crossed they'll be used as evidence in existing criminal cases or to pursue new ones. But the fact that it's happening even before the hearings get started is a fairly good sign, so stay tuned. And now for the main event. Today we welcome to our show Jack Cacciarella, a Gen Z activist, digital strategist, and budding political commentator. Jack interned for the Lincoln Project and hosts his own podcast called Zoomed In on Midas Touch. You can also follow him on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, or find him working alongside candidates like Florida gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist and Marjorie Taylor Greene's Democratic opponent Marcus Flowers. If Jack's bio seems sort of short, it's because he's only a sophomore at Columbia University studying poli-sci. But the kid's doing amazing work with his fellow students. He's helping to engage young people in current political issues and fight for positive change. He's also in the middle of finals week and he took a break to do our show. So let's go now to that conversation with Jack Cocciarella. Okay, so Jack, I got to ask you these questions because you're a young guy. Are people your age going to go out there and finally vote? I mean, Are there efforts to mobilize the vote, to go door to door? I mean, Generation X and Millennials combined actually make up the largest voting bloc in history. So what I'm asking is, is your generation ready to save the world? Because I'm sorry to say, you know, you you guys are really going to be the ones that are going to have to do it. All you have to do is look at the shit that's going on, turn on the news on any given day. What say you? Yeah, and we understand that. We see that this is going to fall on us, and we're ready to take on that challenge. In 2020, we saw some of the biggest turnout numbers for millennials, Gen X, Gen Z. We saw young people turning out, and and Gen Z is going to be an even bigger part of the electorate this year. And we know, we know that showing up matters. We have seen attacks on our high schools We have seen attacks on our middle schools, elementary schools from Republicans across the country. We know what issues are at stake and and we're ready to turn out to vote. Our generation is more engaged than any other at at this time, I think. I think we are ready. I think we are ready to participate. I think we are ready to call on the others that are in Gen Z to go out and vote. And yet there are efforts across the country. You know, this generation started off 
getting involved in politics. In 2020, uh, in, and I, I always like to say this is the start. This is when Gen Z knew that we could change the world. At Trump's rally in Oklahoma, when he said that he was going to sell millions of tickets, it was going to be huge, everyone was going to show up, and, and Gen Z was buying up all these tickets because you could just reserve them online. We, we kind of had this effort on TikTok, on Twitter, all across social media. We said, we're going to embarrass Donald Trump at his first rally back. And he was saying that, you know, he was going to have all these people at his rally and then no one showed up. And he was completely embarrassed. At that point, we were like, OK, we just embarrassed the president of the United States. What can we do now? And what we did is we turned people out to vote and, and, and we could we could see it. We could see the impact, but now we know we have to step up even more. Yeah, so let, let me say this. As a guy who worked for the former president, uh, both in an individual capacity and then as personal attorney to the president, and probably spent more time with him than virtually anyone, you can't embarrass him. The guy's a fucking narcissistic sociopath who doesn't understand the term embarrassed. You know, it's funny because there's this case that I was forced to testify, I was subpoenaed to testify. Uh, it's called Galicia. And one of the things that I had said was Donald is basically obsessed with the notion of getting hit in the face with a pie. Or, uh, you know, or something. But it's really, it was a pie or a cupcake or something like that. And what's amazing, right, is that this happened to Bill Gates. That would embarrass him. But the mm -hmm. fact that nobody showed up to his rally, he'll still turn around. And he'll still come off and say the same bullshit. It was the greatest, it was the greatest rally it ever. It was the biggest right? rally. There's it was so the biggest people. Quite frankly, there's nobody bigger. All right, nobody gets crowds like Trump. Nobody gets crowds like Trump. Right, and you sit there and you say to yourself, "Fuck, are you talking about? The place was empty." That's not what's needed from folks your age, Jack. All right, now you know I'm going to refer because I'm a little older. Right, as being a part of that baby boomer, which is where I guess I fit into. But there was a Pew Research poll going back to 2016, and in that research poll. Remember, this is still six years ago now. There's an estimated 62 million millennials, all right? That's ages 20 to 35, U.S. citizens who are part of this voting block. I suspect it's actually more now. It could be 65, 66 million. Even like with this podcast, Mea Culpa, which, again, it's a podcast, but I like to call it the Mea Culpa podcast movement we don't really see the millennials as the listeners into this podcast what is it that you guys are actually doing right that you're too busy to listen to podcasts that you're too busy you know to get out there because with all due respect I don't see the millennials doing what's needed in order to save the country. We can no longer leave it to the octogenarians, right? Mm. And I and I'm look, I'm very pleased that Joe Biden is the president versus Trump. That's a hundred percent for certain. Am I thrilled with everything that he's doing? No. Am I okay with a lot of the things that he's doing and agree? Absolutely. But I think we need some younger blood and not younger blood like Josh Hawley, who's a fucking moron, or you get, a, you know, like uh, the we Warren Burke We don't, sure. we don't, we don't need any more Madison Cawthorns for sure. 
how, how do we... How do we energize your base is really what I'm looking for. What do I have to do in order to get out there and to get more folks like you activated? Because that's what we need. We, not to embarrass Trump. We need to have a voting block of like, and I tried to do this with Maya, with Maya Culp all the time. You know, we're doing like 1.3 million downloads, right? You know, per month. I don't, I'm not happy with that. I want 13 million downloads because you get numbers like that and then it becomes 25 million and 50. You're, a, you're not just a, a voting block. You're a decision maker. Mm-hmm. And when you start seeing people who are fucking crazy, like, I don't know if you saw this um, on TikTok, Ted Cruz was being um, questioned by a great journalist. I've never spoken to him from Sky News. Sky News. I just saw that. I just saw oh that right now. Oh, my God. What a fucking fool and a coward to sit there and, you know, as he lays hand on him, oh, you know, you, I understand your political agenda. The fuck is he talking about? Political agenda. There's 21 dead people, children, children. And he's just there. He goes, these are all parents that are never going to be able to tuck their kids in at night and, and kiss them goodnight. Fuck you, Ted. All right? And I hope he's listening listening to this fuck you a thousand times on behalf of every kid who has died as a direct result of one of these AR-15 lunatics, right? Fuck you, Ted. What do we do to activate your generation, your group of millennials? So I saw that interview, which was an incredible interview, and it, and it was important because the reporter said, why, why does this only happen in America? And Ted Cruz wouldn't answer the question. And they, keep, they kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing, which is what we need to be doing. But I saw that interview on TikTok, which is where most of my generation is getting our, our news, our information, and learning about politics. And that's what was so important about that Trump rally. Now, embarrassing Trump isn't going to do anything because, like you said, he can't be embarrassed. But what we realized in that moment during the pandemic is Gen Z can organize online. We can affect change online. We can come together online and really make a movement happen. We didn't have the power, the political power before to to really organize at the level that we are right now, because it was always, oh, you're too young. Take a step back. Maybe you'll have your time later. We don't really need you. We'll maybe listen, but you're not going to really be a part of this decision making. You're not going to be telling people what to do. But now we have been empowered, our generation, because of the reach that we have online not only with people who are involved with politics right now, but you know, kids our age who want to know what they can do. How can they help? Because we are exposed to these interviews with Ted Cruz when we're like, what a piece of shit. What can I do? And then we're right there to tell you what you can do. We are the most informed and the most politically active generation there is. And we are so ready to be a part of this movement. And there are incredible incredible groups like Gen Z for Change, Voters of Tomorrow, Fearless Action, who are out there knocking doors, talking to young folks, knocking more doors than we could have in 2020 because of the pandemic, and and sending more messages via TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, all over the place are we talking to people right now. And we're energized because we see what needs to happen. It's happening in our high schools. These aren't just issues of, you know, well, what's going on with What's happening in Washington? What's Donald Trump and Joe Biden? What are they talking about? No, we've seen Ron DeSantis attacking the kids that we go to school with. And we're ready to vote. We know how important these issues are. We know how pressing they are. Nothing, no issue 
has has united and empowered Gen Z to act more than climate, because we know that it is our future. But what else we know is our future is what's going to happen to the people we go to school with in high school and how they are being silenced, how they're being oppressed, how they're being held down by these bigoted Republican governors across the country. And we're not going to put up with it. And we know we have the power to change it. We have the power to organize and protest, which we have across the country in support of calling out these laws. And that's what we're going to do with the ballot box in November. Well, let me ask you, okay, so you bring up climate. Totally agree with you. I mean, science, despite the fact that Trump doesn't believe in science, right? I mean, he didn't believe in science. He questioned science when it came to the COVID pandemic. He, he doesn't believe in science, despite the fact that he had an uncle. I have an uncle who's like a great scientist with MIT. I, I don't, I've, I've never gotten the guy's full name, uh, and I can't find him online, but I'm going to take... I can't take Donald's word for it because he fucking <laughs> lies just about everything. All right. But I think your generation, right, should be equally concerned, not just with climate, but with the economy and the massive fucking debt that baby boomers and, you know, and then the, uh, what do you call them, Gen Xs, right? Um, the debt that we're leaving to your to your group and to your eventual children's, you know, um, group. I don't know how you get out from underneath this sort of debt. I think the statistic is 52 cents of every single dollar that's earned just goes to pay the interest. Now, of course, that was when interest was at zero. I'm curious whether it's how much more it'll go up now that interest rates are rising yeah. and so on. But how do you ever get out from underneath the economy? And that's why, look, your generation, the, the intelligence is so significant. You start to see as, you know, as um, new generations, let's, you know, put out to pasture the older generations. You have different types of experience. You have uh, the Internet. You have, you know, so much more in terms of whether, yes, social media and so on. But the intelligence the ability to learn and um is just it's really truly fantastic what we really need is folks your age getting involved getting active running for not for congress not for senate or governor right um i'm talking about the lower position city council the, to do exactly what the republicans are doing mm -hmm. so that we can ensure that somebody like jack cucciarella right that you start out in a city council position and then you move up and then you ultimately become mayor and then a governor and then a senator or a congressman and then you ultimately by the time that you're in your late 40s early 50s the way like barack obama did it and then you ultimately become president and that way you know you nobody's talking about your energy level or whether or not that you're you know um mentally coherent right uh because you make one mistake i mean it's truly amazing the way that the media especially the right-wing media they jump all over biden if he says anything the same way that they jumped on george bush the other day when instead of talking about ukraine you know he mentioned iraq right mm -hmm. okay it was it was a flub people make flubs all the time that happens to be a stupid one but how do we get your generation? I, you know, it's a, I keep focusing on this because 
I don't have the answer to it. And I'm looking to somebody like yourself for some of these answers. Yeah. And there is an incredible organization called Run for Something that has been engaging, uh, you know, people who would not previously even consider themselves able to run for office to get out and run. And it's not just for, you know, higher positions in Congress, but it is at the state and city level. It is running for school board. It is running for city council. It's running for these positions that really matter and are going to really have an impact and show young people that they can get involved. There are young people in Florida and it is incredible, who are now running for school board positions because they see how important they are and they see how important this local level of politics is and the effect that it's had on them in high school. And something that, you know, President Biden isn't perfect, but something that I think has really helped engage young people um, in a way that gets them more attentive and excited about being involved in politics is that President Biden will at least listen and he'll listen and act. So when the end of the um, student debt uh, repayment moratorium was going to end, when paying student loans was about to kick back in, young people everywhere had their voices heard. We said, no, we have to extend this. We know the pandemic is over. People are still struggling. It, you know, We've been doing this for a year and a half now, and the economy hasn't collapsed. I think we can continue you know, to extend this moratorium to keep these payments paused. People are not ready to come back and pay. We, we just, the pandemic's not over. People are still struggling. And President Biden listened to us and he extended that. And we've called for President Biden to cancel even up to like the $10,000 that he promised in student debt. And, and that looks like it is going to be happening hopefully soon. But we know that he'll listen. And I think that, I think that that more than anything is the most important thing that President Biden has been able to do for our generation is show that he'll listen to what we have to say and, and act on it, which he has. And so well, because then, of that, I think we're going to be I think we're seeing that we can actually get involved and make something happen. OK, so then let me ask you this, because Biden is down in the polls, particularly with Generation X voters. Now, we know that the White House messaging is for shit. All right. Yeah. I say that all the 100%. time. It's not just the White House messaging is for shit, but the whole DNC. Right. Uh, I mean, I and I talk about Jamie Harrison all the time. It's just for shit. The Democrats in general really need a PR overhaul, something yep. that we tried to do here on Maya Culpa, something obviously I know that you tried to do. But what do you think Biden can do to turn things around? I mean, you know, obviously canceling school debt is certainly one thing. Is that something that would get young progressives out to vote simply just by canceling school debt? It's got to be bigger than that. That would be a tremendous step because we understand the limitations of what President Biden can do. We understand that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema have fucked up a lot of this agenda. And we understand that, do you know what? Sometimes we have to compromise and, and we don't really want to because we turned out in massive numbers in 2020 and we organized the hell out of Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. We did everything we could. And so, but we understand that there needs to be a compromise, but President Biden needs to be act on the, acting on the promises that he made. And, and that is at least showing us that he's listening to what we need as young people, to what's going to help move us forward. And not just us, but it will completely change for the better and start making an impact on some of these, you know, racial wealth 
disparities and that wealth inequality in, in the country. And it'll be an, an important step forward for millions of Americans. And so, no, that's not the only thing that President Biden could be doing, because there is lots of action that needs to be taken. But again, we just need to show he just needs to show that we're being heard because we are actively participating in this process for him. And, and he needs to show that he is engaging with us as well. But no, there's absolutely more to be done. But, but we understand that it's going to take probably 51, 52, 53 votes in the Senate. And and so really what it's been, like you said, the, the DNC is kind of shit. And we know that. And we know that they're not going to be the ones turning out young people. It's going to be young people turning out young people. We understand yeah. that it's upon us to have this messaging. We understand that it's upon us to go out and register voters, to talk to voters, to keep people engaged, to keep people caring. And they do. And they understand how important this election is going to be for us getting even the just the most basic needs of what's going to make this country better for young people. But we understand that. And so the messaging has fallen on us and it's going to continue to. And so we know that. But just listening and engagement from President Biden is what we want at the most basic level, because we understand that there's nothing that we can really do about Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin right now. No, but actually you can. See, that's the whole point. Going back to that Pew research, you guys are the biggest voting block that's out there. And there are some great young people like yourself that are out there and pushing it. Vote the assholes out of office. Let me ask you. Now, you're a Florida native, correct? Absolutely. You were born in Florida? All right. Born now, race. so here's what we know, right? The NRA is extremely strong in Florida. And in all fairness, the NRA is even stronger now in Florida now that the entire Trump family moved down there, mm -hmm. right? You know, you can rest assured of that. Now, you recently tweeted about how much Marco Rubio takes in, I'm talking about money, from the NRA. But Parkland, the Pulse nightclub, it seems like Floridians would be tired of these mass shootings by now. I know I am. I can't watch television anymore. I mean, what are the Democrats doing, especially your age group? What are they doing there to figure this out? I mean, Val Demings is an excellent candidate. Do you think Absolutely. that she could win? We need to do something. Yeah, and so... Absolutely. We have examples of how gun violence has affected us all across the state. And so what needs to happen is we need to look at the polls that are coming out that says 88 percent, 90 percent, 92 percent of Americans support some common sense gun reform, some common sense gun reform. And we need to have that talking point, because what Democrats usually do is they just get scared and run. They run from the issues that we can win on. They run from talking about the issue of abortion. They talk. They, they run away from talking about gun reform because, you know, you'll see Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or Rick Scott going to say, oh, so you just want to take our guns away. And obviously that is not the proposal that we're putting forward. Democrats just get scared and they just run from the issue, even though the issue is on our side. But young people, we're pragmatic. Gen Z is pragmatic. We understand the nuances of these issues. And so we can have the conversation that's, you know, we understand that, you know, some people really care about their Second Amendment rights. They, they value it so much that they are willing to apparently let children all across the country die. But your Second Amendment rights only go so far, right? Your Second Amendment rights should not allow the mass slaughter of children every day. 
And we understand that there are some common sense gun reforms that we can have to prevent 18-year-olds from being able to buy two AR-15s and get hundreds of rounds of ammo in, in a day with, without, any, without any questions asked, without any training, anything, and just be able to carry it openly. So we understand that there are some easy reforms that can be made. There are two bills that were passed by the House of Representatives years ago that have just been sitting around because the Senate doesn't want to act. And we all know that we basically kind of have unanimous agreement that these are positive reforms. And so these are the discussions we need to be having. We can't let Republicans muck it up as they always do and make this a conversation that Democrats just get scared of. We this isn't just mucking it up, Jack. Of- Jack, this is not just mucking it up. All right. This is this is a whole lot more than that. This this goes way beyond, right? The, their behavior is the Second Amendment is sacrosanct. It's as it's look, it's the Second Amendment, right? It's it's as sacrosanct as the First Amendment. Your right to free speech is your right. Not and I talk about this all the time on Maya Culpa. I was licensed to carry a firearm, a concealed firearm in the city of New York. There's like a thousand people who had that license. I lost it because the president got his pecker pulled by a porn star. That's really what I was what I was charged with. The rest of it was fucking bullshit. But I lost my right to carry, um, you know, and I have no issues with the Second Amendment. I have a lot of issues with AR-15s. That is a weapon that belongs on a battlefield. That does not belong in anyone's home. It does not, you know, and And I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps when I was thinking about this because I was watching television and now they're taking DNA from parents at the school. There should be no reason that anyone owns any weapon that should be able to dismember someone so just disgustingly. That you can't even identify who they are. Who is that protecting? What do you need that for? What are weapons of war doing in the hands of 18-year-olds? What's it doing in the hands of any civilian? I don't care. I'm 55. Jack, I'm 55. I never wanted to fire an AR-15. And I've had 40s, 45s. I've had, you know, 9mm, 387s. I've had them all. Right, I had a 10-gauge shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun. I understand. I've had them all. I have no interest in shooting or owning an AR-15. I just don't. I don't understand. What are you going to do? You're going to go out there, shoot a deer? By the time you finish shooting it, there's nothing it left of the meat. There's nothing left. No. It, it doesn't make any sense. It is so completely unnecessary and a trade-off of I don't even know what for just to like I don't, I don't know why any, first of all, I don't know why anyone would want to own one. I, I can't get a reason. I've never had one that actually made sense. And then if you can see small, dead, every, big gun, there you go. Every that's really what every, it's about. And every single shooting we've had, how many times do we have to say the shooting AR 15, AR 15, AR 15, AR 15, every one of them back days, back to back weeks, every single one. And, and Republicans yeah. say, Oh, well, there's nothing that we can do about this issue. Well, then why does it only happen here? And then why does it only happen with these weapons? It, I, I think that's pretty clear. I think that's pretty clear. And, and that's why it's we very clear. And, and that's because and that's why we can't run. We can't run away from these issues. I remember there was nothing Democrats were more afraid of 
in 2020 than Republicans saying that Democrats want to defund the police. And any time what was said, they got scared and they ran away from the issue, right? They didn't address it. They didn't talk about police violence. They didn't talk about the reforms that could be made to protect communities and police officers more, just the common sense reforms that we could make. But what I remember is in a debate between Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock. Kelly Loeffler mm-hmm. said, you are, you know, when she was going on a rant of, you know, my radical socialist communist, she was just throwing buzzwords, opponent, Raphael Warnock, and he wants to defund the police. He said, well, actually, I don't want to defund the police. I think there are reforms that we can make that will make our community safer and our police officers safer. But actually, my opponent, Kelly Loeffler, she has voted to defund the police. Because when there was a bill to fund state police officers, to, to fund these police departments, she voted against it. Because she's voted against anything, any, any, sort of, any sort of bill to help our states any sort of package, she's voted against it. So that is who is defunding your police departments. And that's what we need to do as Democrats. We can't just run from these issues. We need to show where Republicans are blatantly wrong. Because they are, because they're hypocritical on every single issue. We shouldn't be running from these issues. We should be flipping them on Republicans. And that and that's what needs to be done. Yeah, and when I saw like Lauren Bulbert with her family and their Christmas card all holding AR-15s, I want to vomit. I, I, I fucking hate them. But speaking about people who I can't stand, right? I know you hate Ron DeSantis. I mean, who doesn't? I, I know yeah. I do. And I think you're working with um with Charlie Crist, right? Um, mm-hmm. and Marcus Flowers, who's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. But what is really what's really going on in Florida, right? What's the temperature with voters? And and I have a lot to say about this, you know, because there's been a lot of redistricting. How do you think it's going to go now that you have all of this redistricting? Because Republican voter turnout all across the South has been huge. I mean, it really has. It's been huge. Yeah. What to yeah. do? And so that's why right now, particularly because Florida has such a late primary compared to other states is Democrats need to come together now. We need to stop fighting with each other, especially in, in this gubernatorial primary. We need to stop fighting with each other. The, the issue at hand is Ron DeSantis, who is allowing kids to be killed in schools, who is attacking our children, who is attacking our teachers, who has let tens of thousands of Floridians die, who is one of the worst governors in America. He needs to be the issue. We need to talk about Republic, what Republicans are doing wrong. We need to unite in these primaries. And sure, they are competitive primaries that we have across the state. And Democrats are running to be the nominee. But there's no reason we should be running against each other. We should be talking about what we are going to be putting forward. And that's what needs to happen right now. So that's the first thing. This party infighting in Florida is the reason we are never able to be successful as a Democratic Party. People have largely given up on Democrats in Florida. I, I see it. Everyone's talking about, and you know, rightfully so, how we can win in Pennsylvania, how we can win in Wisconsin, how we can win in Ohio, and, and you know, Florida's getting left behind. And I don't think it should. But it, it should make sense. Should look it, at look at look at how many electoral votes Florida Florida exactly. tends to be the deciding state in virtually exactly. every election. But it but it makes sense because Democrats have failed so many times, but 
but we can't. But this is a, a perfect time to rectify what we have done wrong as a party. And again, we need to be talking about the issues that people can understand. We need to talk about how ridiculous it is that teachers are being fired for what talking about who they are married to, that books are being banned, but not weapons of war, that, you know, we've seen schools, just children being terrorized by our governor. And that's our focus. Don't, don't I, say don't say gay. Right. The big focus. fight now with the big fight now with fucking Mickey Mouse. Serious. Yeah, so that's what he's that's what he's focused on. And I I live in central Florida. So all that debt, that's going to fall on me. It's going to be I think the number was about like thirty five hundred dollars a year in new taxes that people in central Florida are going to be having to pay because Ron DeSantis decided he wanted to go to war with Mickey fucking Mickey Mouse. It's like we need to be saying, look what's happening in our schools. That's happened here. And you know what Ron DeSantis is focused on? He's focused on banning books and, and keeping kids from saying gay in schools. He wants to censor their language, what they can say, who they can be. Like, that's what he's worried about. And we need to make it crystal clear that these are the issues that matter. What I think Democrats do a lot of the time is they say, okay, what are people talking about, right? I, even a year out from an election, they'll be like, what are people caring about? Well, what's, what's the hot topic right now? And that's going to change by November. What we really need to be doing is saying, as Democrats, this is what we care about. This is what's important to our party. And we need to be talking about those issues. Every single Democrat should be saying Republicans voted to cap the price of insulin at $35 a month. Every single time we talk, we need to be talking about that. Republicans want to stop a woman from having autonomy over her body. Every single time Democrats talk, that's what we need to be talking about. Republicans voted against providing baby formula for mothers who couldn't access it. $28 million they were unwilling to spend to help mothers across this country. We need to be talking about that. These are the issues that we need to be talking about. We can't let Republicans drive our agenda. We need to be the ones doing it. And that's where we're failing. We're allowing them to to twist all of the issues that they want. And then we get scared when they don't look good for us. We just run away. And that's what yeah, people are do. tired of Democrats doing. I'm just being scared, right? I'm not fighting for them. I'm not caring, not showing up. And that's what needs to change more than anything. That's what needs to change. We need to start fucking showing up. Yeah, you know, I was just down in Miami. Uh, my son just graduated from the Herbert Business School, University of Miami. And while we were walking around and so on, for the most part, uh, the your, your generation, the younger folks, you know, they would come over, they would ask to take a, an Instagram photo. <laughs> they would say, you know, thank you for fighting for us and so on. But every now and then, um, I would get young folks start screaming at me and more people, um, more my age, um, you know, would also just start screaming at me. You know, you're a piece of shit, you know, fucking rat. You're, a, you know, you're a traitor and all that. And I sit there and I scratch my head and I say, look, um, I can't I can't argue and I can't fight with you. I'm still on paper because I have, you know, like this. The judge in his infinite wisdom, this Judge Pauly, William H. Pauly III, decide I should also, on top of everything, have three years of supervised release. So I'm in a real 
stand down position. I'm going to argue with you. Absolutely. I'm a trader because I paid at the direction for the benefit of the former president. Um, I paid $130,000 to an affair that he has that he still, of course, refuses to acknowledge because um, he thinks that, you know, Melania believes him, which of course she doesn't. But I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm always curious, especially when the younger folk take on the positions of Iran DeSantis. I don't understand it because we talked about it. Climate, economy, you know, book banning, don't say gay, AR-15, Second Amendment, NRA money. I mean, these are the things that I would like to see the DNC. I would like to see, you know, more people than just myself. I'm just one person. I'm only just one person, and I'm looking for a lot of people to sit there, like the Lincoln Project does, or Project Democracy, or Midas Touch. Uh, and so I want to see, you know, especially your generation start getting out there. And the same way that Trump was able to fill stadiums, right, with his bullshit, with his lies, with his fucking theatrics. We have mm -hmm. to kind of do the same thing. You see, that's how he was successful. He basically said to you, I'm not a politician. I'm a billionaire businessman. And what I can do, nobody else can do. Because I'm not in the pockets of anybody. Which turned out to be bullshit. He was in the pockets of basically everybody. Especially considering all of his buddies. Especially the Mar-a-Lago clan. Um, I mean, they all pulled down billions by stealing off PPP. That money being stolen, you know who's going to be paying that back? You. Uh, you. I have a few more years of work and then I'm ready to I'm ready to, you know, find a community and die there, right? This is all going to fall on your back. And that's why you guys should be angry and and mobilized and motivated because people like you actually have to get out there. And you have to start to help to make the difference, which, again, your voting block can change everything. Absolutely. And, and that's what we're stressing, is that that's true. That is true, that we can actually affect change. And for the first time, I think young people are actually really starting to see that. And so that's what go back to what we were first talking about at the beginning of the pod, that, you know, when we... When we had the buying up all the tickets for the Trump rally to try to embarrass and no one showed up, that was the first moment when we thought, okay, so we can actually make something happen. We, we can do something from kind of just sitting in our room. And we had to sit in our room at that time because it was COVID. What else were we going to do? Couldn't go outside and knock doors. I got my start. Uh, I, I was working for uh, the Lincoln Project as an intern. Uh, in 2020. And I got my start because I was going to be an organizer for the Florida Democratic Party um, in, in the 2020 election. But because we couldn't knock doors, I couldn't. And so, you know, for that first month of COVID, when everyone was kind of just sitting around thinking, what, I don't even know what this is, what's going on, I'm locked in my house. I, I was having those same thoughts. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I can do something like online. How did I just reach out? I like the Lincoln Project. I reached out via email, I got connected to them, and I got brought on board, got brought on board the team. And I was like, oh, I can affect change from my computer, right? Well, let's, let's see how far I can take this. And since then, I've 
you know, grown my following online talking about politics to, you know, a majority of my followers are young people, college students who, you know, just want to engage with this information. And I think that's what we've started to understand is that we can actually affect change and make these differences just from our phones, just from our laptops. And that doesn't mean that it's all going to take place online. And a lot of the times it means we can organize to make things now happen in person. The walkouts that have taken place across Florida to protest the Don't Say Gay Bill, those started on Instagram, on Twitter, and on TikTok. That's where those started. Those started as ideas that people were able to get behind. And, and you saw how huge and impactful and meaningful those walkouts are. And now we are going to do the same thing, but we're going to be walking to the ballot box in November because we are pissed. We are furious and we fucking should be because this is ridiculous that there is a new set of attacks coming on our generation every day, whether from whether it's from a madman mass murderer or it's from a fucking governor or the former yeah. president trying to attack our generation. Everyone is coming after us. Everyone. And we know it. And we know the power to affect change that we have. And we can organize at a level that's never been seen before. And we can communicate at a level that's never been seen before. And we can message at a level that's never been seen before. And I'm so grateful for groups like Midas Touch, who have given young people kind of the keys to do what they want and, and, and go forth on, on platforms with a lot of people and engage them and talk to them about the issues that matter most. And, you know, in the work that I'm doing with, with Charlie Crist or Marcus Flowers, candidates as well, Democrats are starting to say, okay, how can we learn from what young people have to say and start to engage them online? And I am telling all of my friends who work in politics, you don't have to wait your turn. You don't because your voice is needed. Your input is needed. You know so much more about these spaces that are so important than anyone else. We need you right now. Don't be afraid. Don't wait your turn. This is our time right now. And I think we understand that more than any other generation has. And I know that's going to be seen in November. I just know it will. Because it well, was thank God. And, and it will and it will this year as well. Well, thank God for your generation. Listen, you guys, are, as I said at the beginning too, you guys are smarter. You're more active. You have more knowledge about internet and social media and so on to get messages out. Let's not forget Roe v. Wade. It's going to affect your generation. Right. Yeah. Um, when you and, and at the end of the day, it does. It's not just that. It's even, even a book banning and don't say gay. Who gives a shit? Say whatever you mind. Your own business is what I try to tell is what I try to tell everybody. You be you. Let me be me. And let's just all fucking get along. Right. I mean, it, sh it shouldn't make a goddamn difference. I don't get it. But I want to go back to the second part of my previous question. Um, does Marcus Flowers have a prayer of a chance against Marjorie Taylor Greene, that fucking psychopath in Georgia? So what I have seen in the past two days since Marcus won the nomination is DMs and mentions and emails of people saying, I'm a Republican. I can't fucking stand her. Because although she won her primary, did she... Win it by 100%, 90%, 95%? No. There were thousands of votes going to other Republicans who ran against Marjorie Taylor Greene. There are people in this district who are just so fed up with her. We saw it in the case of Madison Cawthorn, where you saw Republicans turn out to vote against them. People are tired. 
of Marjorie Taylor Greene and people who are tired of Madison Cawthorn. If Madison Cawthorn was able to be defeated, absolutely Marjorie Taylor Greene can be. Because people are reaching out who are Republicans, who I've even say, seen, uh, seen say, yeah, I'm a Republican, and so I'm going to vote for Brian Kemp. But I'm also voting for you, Marcus, because I'm tired of her, and I like you, and I know that you will actually represent me. So if we're seeing that happen, if we're seeing Republicans who, you know, in our campaigns, going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that they also want to be voting for Stacey Abrams. Um, but if we're seeing Republicans say, I am just, I'm fed up. I can't stand it anymore. She has to go. I, I, and they're saying, you know, I'm a Republican. I always have been, I always have been, but she has to go. That's a shot right there. That's a chance. That is an ability to defy the odds. And, and more than just that, if, if we're seeing Republicans who are just done with Marjorie Taylor Greene, why can't they also be done with Herschel Walker? Why can't they be done with Brian Kemp? And that's something, that's the energy that we're bringing to this. <laughs> you picture. imagine Herschel Walker. I mean, I look, I had a chance. I, 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 I had I, a chance. I, I mean, I had a chance to, to meet Herschel during The Apprentice. And I can tell you, that's not who I would want representing me. You know, look, I will never take away the fact that he was an amazing ball player, an absolutely amazing ball player, but that doesn't translate into being a governor. I mean, or a, or a, I mean, it just does not translate, which is stupid. But I want to ask you this: What do you think is the most important issue, the single most important issue for these upcoming midterms? The single most important issue for these upcoming midterms. Is I'd say a connection of issues. I'd say it's about connecting issues. I'd say the first thing that we need to say is look what Republicans want to take away from you. They want to take away, as a woman, they want to take away your bodily autonomy. And now that's not just going to affect women. Roe v. Wade is about the right to privacy. They're not just coming for Roe. They're coming for everything. That's what we need to say. Republicans don't really want you to be able to do what you want. They don't want you to have privacy. They don't want you to be able to have bodily autonomy. And from there, we need to say, okay, Republicans want to make you have a forced birth. And then what are they going to do after that? Are they going to give you a child tax credit? Fuck no. Are they going to help you for if, if your child is born with type 1 diabetes? Are they going to help you pay for insulin? No. Fuck no. They're not doing that. If you can't access baby formula because there a short because there's a shortage are they going to help you there no absolutely not and we need to connect these issues to say look at what republicans want to force people to do and then look what they're going to do to help republicans yeah. want to force they want to force you to have a baby and then they won't help you at all republicans are it's gilead people on their own they're leaving it's gilead on their own and then, and then right there we need to say they don't care about children they're not pro-life, they're pro-birth. If they were pro-life, if they cared about children, why are our children still being killed in schools? It is a connected set of messages that all so clearly go together because their hypocrisy is tremendous. It is, it is, you can't miss it. It's right there in your face every day on the news with the people you talk to. Elizabeth Warren always says this whenever she goes to a rally. She says, you know, how many people in this room have uh, use insulin? And, you know, you get most of the people raising their hands. Then it's how many people have a family member who uses insulin? And then you're getting, you know, 
99%. And then it's how many, how, how many people in here know someone who uses insulin? It's everyone. And that's what we have to do. We have to show people how closely all of these issues are hitting, are hitting the home. We need so to then let me ask you this. How closely these issues with schools are hitting yep. close to home. So, Jack, let me ask you this. Who are the political heroes, if there are any, that your generation is inspired by? I, am, I think the squad is interesting because I know that you're a Beto O'Rourke fan. And yeah, he's, I, I, I like him. I like there, a lot of things that, he's, you know, that, that he does and that he says. But for me, for my generation, you know, we had the Kennedys. We had Barack Obama, right? Are there any rising community leaders in, you know, that we should know about in your generation that inspire you like the way that, you know, a, a John F. Kennedy or a Barack Obama did? Well, we are about to have the first set of Gen Zers run for office. And there is an incredible candidate who I know and I work closely with. His name is Ray Reed. Uh, he's in Missouri 2nd Congressional District. I encourage everyone to look him up uh, and support Ray. And he is running right now to be the youngest representative in the history of that district and the first Gen Zer in Congress. You know, we are just having, because our generation kind of caps out at you know, mid, I think right now the oldest Gen Zer is like 26. So we're just now being able to run for Congress. And so we are about to have a wave of people who inspire us, but there are tons across the country in, and acting every day, but we are about to have our first uh, political candidates, Gen Z is, who are going to be running for office. But absolutely, Beto O'Rourke and AOC are inspirations to us, mainly for one reason, because they're not taking shit, right? And they're calling people out. That was what was so impactful. We're not really care. We don't need to care about civility. Like, and, and that's, that's what, you know, Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott were yelling about, you know, Oh, this is so uncivil. They say, why are you trying to politicize this? I don't know why Republicans always say that. This is a political issue. School shootings are a policy choice by Republicans to let it happen. That's political. And so we're going to talk about it. So I think, of course, we're going to talk about it. The, the, the parents <laughs> who were devastated by the news that they got, they wanted their students to be protected. They were calling for these reforms so they could have their children protected. So people who are actually going to talk about these issues and aren't afraid to do so in a way that makes people uncomfortable, those are heroes to us. Because that's something that we'll do. We'll just give it to people straight. And, and, and we're not worried about, like, you know, how these things are supposed to traditionally operate, how politics is supposed to look, because that's what's yeah. been holding us back. If people saying, wait your turn. Yeah, civility. What a bunch of bullshit on the GOP. D Donald Trump is the, is the king of civility, right? Now, yeah, I want to say really. this to you, Jack. I read on Twitter that you've recently come out. I mean, look, I want to say it to you. Congratulations. That's wonderful. You be you, right? And, and nobody, should be, nobody should be involved in your business. But I do want to ask you, has coming out changed your life any? And how does it inform your politics and your activism? Because like I said to you before with Ron DeSantis, I mean, don't say gay. I don't understand. What is, he, what is he worried about? And how is this informing you and your activism? Because like I said, you, your generation, if you guys don't activate and if you guys don't mobilize and if you don't help this stupid generation like myself, this country's doomed. 
Yeah. And so the first time that I, I ever, you know, talked to my friends about this was in, was in 10th grade. So, you know, three years ago and I was worried. Um, and we were all just kind of hanging out and I was like, um, worried. I never really had any experience with this. None of my friends, you know, were members of the LGBTQ plus community. And I, I was just worried, you know, I grew up in Florida. I kind of just sat my friends down and was just like, Hey guys, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bisexual. I just wanted to let you know. And they're like, okay, cool. That's great. We support you hundred percent. And I was shocked by that because I was like, well, this isn't how I thought this would go. And, and it's still even from, well, how there, did you think, how did you think it was going to go? What do you think they were going to do? Put soap in a, in a, in a, in a, in a pillowcase and beat you? Well, when you see people like Ron DeSantis, right. And the discussion of right. these issues, of these histories in classrooms, even me, who was a guy who was just, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's funny because all my friends are like, never could have guessed that because, you know, I, I, I guess they just didn't think that's who I was. They didn't care. But when you see Ron DeSantis and, you know, governors and Republicans all across the country attack people for being who they want to be, yeah, it starts to worry kids. And that's why the suicide rate amongst LGBTQ plus youth are higher than any other group just because there is constant attacks on this group of people, this group of young people who, who just want to be themselves and just want to figure out who they are and want to do it without the impediment of Republicans trying to control them. Because what's so incredible about our generation is, you know, I, I wanted to do that publicly. I wanted to do that on Twitter because I wanted to empower people to be comfortable with doing it. But what we've started to see more and more with our generation is people don't really have to come out anymore because we as young people just like, it's just who people are. It doesn't have to be some formal announcement. We don't really assume anymore that anyone is any way because we shouldn't because everyone should be accepted for who they are. And that's the roadblock that the Republicans are trying to put in place. They are going back to not where we were even 10 years ago, they're going back to where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago, I feel like with this issue, because we have moved so quickly, even in just a couple of years since then, how comfortable, you know, a, a person like me would have felt is, is completely different as, as from three years ago, just with the people in my generation. But it's different with the government now. I couldn't do that in, in, the, in the Florida of three years ago. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that at school. I, I would think I wouldn't be allowed to. I think it would be illegal. And so that's the impediments that Republicans are trying to put forth. They're trying to control people and young people. And it's despicable. And again, that's what we're seeing. It hits close to home because we see it every single day in our schools. So it's not just the LGBTQ plus um, community that they're doing it. You stated it before. Um, correctly, Roe v. Wade. But let's not forget even about this white replacement theory. All of this with the GOP really stems from the Southern White Christian Coalition. This is really what it's all about. Look, white privilege, we're used to it. We, we don't want to give it up. And when you start to see someone of color, when you see a minority in a position of power, that freaks them the fuck out. And they don't yeah. want it. They, they don't want it. And it's amazing to see that there's still so many Americans that before they kept their mouth shut and they just went along, you know what, I can't make any change. You know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. It's not politically, it's not 
it's not civil. But now, with the incivility that Donald has brought to the table, it's actually okay for somebody to start, you know, hurling slurs at you simply because you you are who you are, whether it's based on your, you know, your um, sexual orientation, whether it's based on your color, whether it's based upon your interest in, you know, in seeking or learning about abortion. You know, it's, this is really, it's not going back 40 years. I'm afraid it's going back more than five generations. This is a problem. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I've said it and just, you know, if Republicans want to pass and they have passed, don't say gay bills across the country. But to me, and I've heard it, Republicans still want to use homophobic, homophobic slurs against people that they still want to do. So they're, they don't want us to say gay, but they want to, you know, use homophobic slurs against us. And that they're totally fine with. They're going to keep doing that. So, yeah, the attacks are going to come even more and more and more. And and, and that's the thing. You're right. We keep going back generations and generations and generations. And you're like, how can we possibly go this far back? Like, I thought we made change. But they are just so intent on attacking us that something something has to break because we just won't put up with this. Good. So let me ask you this, because I have a deep Florida question for you. And again, because you're campaigning uh, for Charlie Crist. Have you heard about anything about the Seminole County Republican chair, uh, Ben Paris, and his buddies who have been charged in this multi-count indictment alleging fraud in the 2020 election in Senate District 9? Are you familiar with that? I mean, some bribes taken. It's, I mean, obviously it's bad, but... You've also got someone who I fucking despise, Matt Gates, and and this kid Greenberg, who are mm-hmm. somehow still at large. I mean, still look, walking. I said this. I said this the other day, and and it's like two fucking years already. Two years since we found out about Joel Greenberg with the Venmo and the underage girls with the sex trafficking, which, of course, they throw on the Democrats with the cabal and all that bullshit when it's actually them, which, in my opinion, is also why Madison Cawthorn got booted because he started to discuss things that they're uncomfortable in their Mm -hmm. own party with discussing. But will anything ever change in Florida politics? Or is it just a bunch of scumbags, you know, doing, I hate to say it, what... I hate, I hate to say it, virtually every state is doing. Yeah, and I feel like largely Florida politics is kind of the scumbag population or capital of the country. You know, you see, you, you see the former president is now a, a resident of the state. So that definitely kind of boosted our rating in terms of scumbagginess amongst, amongst Republicans. Um, but nothing is going to change until really we make it. We as the Florida voters make change. And so, again, that's why every opportunity we can, we need to be talking about the issues that we are winning on. We need to talk about the issues that are so abundantly clear that you can't turn away from them, that not even Republicans can turn away from them. When Madison Cawthorn was talking about what we all know was very true with these you know, cocaine orgies that Republicans were having, that cost him his seat, not only because yeah. the Republican establishment was attacking him, but the Republicans in, a, in, their, in his district are like, we can't have this guy representing us. But those are Republicans representing districts all over the country, tons of them. Those exact types of people, those people like Madison Cawthorn. Now, Madison Cawthorn, I think, has done a lot worse, like help incite an insurrection 
um, than just, you know, kind of say some crazy stuff like he did on a podcast talking about what Republicans are doing after work. And and that's not what made Republicans turn on him. Right. It, it was him posting photos of him, like, you know, dressed in women's clothing is why they were mad at him more than the insurrection. So, you know, we need to be talking about the fraud that really upsets people, because I remember and you know, I live in Florida, so I have a I have a couple of friends who, you know, their parents were Republicans. And in one of the things that upset the most in 2020 is when we got a, a bit of the Trump tax return, when we saw the only paid $750 in taxes. And they're like, what the fuck is this? And, and it wasn't the horrible things that Trump had done or said during his presidency. It was, this guy's a fraud. This guy's a scam. They're saying, I pay more. I pay way more than that in taxes. How is this guy getting away with it? I paid three point so, one. I paid $3.1 million at that time. And I'm the tax cheat that ended up getting charged by the Southern District of New York with tax evasion. Can you imagine? And so, yeah. And so look. That's what we need to say. Look at these frauds. Look at these cheats. Look at these pieces of shit. Because if we can't convince them on these issues that they seem to be dug in on, and that doesn't mean we can't just keep talking about these issues because we need to, because eventually, you know, we know that we're on the right side of history. We know that these issues should change their mind if we talk about them in the right way. But bring that ammunition too. We can't be scared to say these people are frauds, they're cheats, they're liars. These are not the people who should be representing you. We shouldn't worry about, you know, like like we said earlier, we need to like, fuck civility, get rid of it. We need to talk about what is true. And that's that these people are liars and they're not representing yep. you, they're representing themselves. They're going Amen. to cause chaos. They're going to enrich themselves. They're going to become famous. That's what they care about. And that is not your representative. That's a representative for themselves. And, and yeah, that's I totally start changing some minds. Because again, when I've talked to Republicans in Marcus's district, it's this person is not a representative. This person doesn't represent me. This person is insane. That's how they talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And there's so many Republicans just like that. Yeah, good. So let me ask you this, Jack, because we're, you know, winding down the hour. The hour goes by quick here on Maya Culpa, right? <laughs> you're, in, you're in school right now. Where are you at? So I am, uh, I'm currently a, a student at, at Dartmouth College, but in the, in the fall, I'll be, I'll be moving to New York City to attend Columbia. And studying political science, correct? Studying political science, yes. All right. Now, you've got a show on the Midas Touch called Zoomed In, and I recommend everybody go and listen to that podcast. Um, the segment, which is called Tweets of the Week, where do you plan to go, right? <laughs> where do you plan to go with your work and your activism? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what you plan on doing with your, we'll call it fame, notoriety, um, because you're, you know, you're a rising star. I appreciate that. Well, really, for me, it's just about and what the Zoomed In podcast is about was I have kind of started to cultivate a platform and, you know, be able to really communicate with large number, numbers of young people uh, in, in a really amazing way. And so what I want to do with my platform more than anything is give it to other young people, young people who maybe don't really know how to work Twitter that well or, you know, haven't built up a huge audience that have important things to say. And so that's what the Zoomed In podcast is about. It was about bringing on young candidates, young activists, young organizers, and letting them tell their stories and letting other young people see that, oh, wow, this is possible. There aren't just a couple of young people in politics doing great work. They're everywhere, and I can be one of them. 
That's what I want everyone to see. I want everyone in my generation to see that you can be involved. You can make change. Now, you don't have to do it by being on Twitter or by being on TikTok or Instagram and you know, talking about politics every day. You, know, you, you don't have to do that. You can do it in your own way, but you need to be involved and you can be involved. And so what I've tried to do you know, with my platform as much as possible is reach out to, connect, and talk to young activists and organizers and candidates and just people who are interested in politics all across the country, encourage them, empower them, try to connect them, give them any of the tools that I have to, to help their efforts. Because we need to come together and use our collective resources to empower young people across the country. And so that is my number one goal more than anything, more than to, you know, just speak my mind on these issues and, and you know, try to change as many minds as possible and maybe get a couple laughs at the expense of Matt Gates as, as many times as I can. But I, I want to make sure that young people are empowered and they have a platform when they need one. Because I was so fortunate when I was working with the Lincoln Project that I had uh, incredible, incredible people like Rick Wilson or Mike Madrid who were mm-hmm. more than happy to say, yeah, what ideas do you have? Yeah, sure. That's great. Let's do that. Let's work on this. How can we help you in your political career? How can we give you advice? What can we do? And, and those guys were incredible, and I'm so thankful for them. And that's why every opportunity I get, I'm trying to do the same. Because so many times it's been, okay, well, you're young, wait your turn. Maybe maybe in a couple of years, and eh, it's not really, you don't really have the ability. Maybe young people aren't smarter than that. No, right now. Right now, get involved as a young person. Right now, care about these issues as a young person. Right now, care about politics as a young person. And go out and get involved, have your voice heard, and then go and vote. And so that's what I'm trying to do with my platform more than anything, is give others the ability to speak to our generation. Well, Jack, you're certainly succeeding, and I wish you all the best of luck. I totally agree with you when it comes to Lincoln Project. We've had them on this show you know, as well. I speak to them on a regular basis. Um, stay, stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Do not give up, right? I mean, it's... It's the future of this country, and I say it all the time, and I don't say it flippantly either. Our democracy is in peril, and it's your generation that's going to really need to step up now because my generation, and certainly the generation before me, they've really fucked it up. The Mitch McConnells of the world, the Mark Meadows, the Matt Gates of the world, I mean— they just fucked everything up. And so, yeah, we're counting on uh, the millennials and the, uh, the Gen Xs in order to help to save our democracy. So thank you for everything you're doing. You need me. You know where to find me. I thank you for joining me today on Mea Culpa and keep up the, keep up the great work. I will, and, and our generation will. And thank you for having me on. Thanks, Jack. And now for today's Mea Culpa. It's been a tough few weeks, and we all need to take a moment to reflect on what's good, even great about this country, and about our fellow Americans. Young people, like our last guest, give me hope that a new wave is coming. A wave of inspired voters who will use their vote for the greater good, the advancement of rights and equality, and for lasting change. And this is the year to get it done, or kiss it goodbye. But I learned a few things this week watching the excruciatingly sad coverage out of Texas. Kids are our future, and anyone who would prioritize their gun over a child's precious life can go fuck themselves. That's not what I learned, that's just how I feel, but a couple of things. We need to change our language around gun issues. 
For several years now, we haven't gotten the message straight. It's not gun control we seek, it's gun safety. So drop the control and people are more likely to listen. It's okay if we start small, one law at a time, but keep pushing. What we want is common sense gun reform that keeps everyone safe, like seatbelts and smoking. We do it for our own protection. It's not an us against them issue. It's not an us and them issue at all. The Democrats are actually the party of law and order. We're not insurrectionists, and we don't want our politicians to be either. We want police reform, and we want more funding for police so that they can afford to put dedicated mental health care professionals on their team. And we are the party of freedom. We don't want to take your rights away, your religion, your reproductive rights, your marriage equality and sexual identity. They are all good under our big tent. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea Culpa, nothing but the truth. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus